Jesus is enough. Welcome to Grace Walk Radio. I'm your host, Derek Lewandowski, and I am here with my co-host, as always, my bearded friend, <laughs> Caleb Berg. Howdy. How you doing, Caleb? I'm doing well. Now, I got to ask, uh, the beard, okay? Yes. Um, I, I when I first met you years back when you lived in the mm. South, you did not have a beard. So I is the beard not. like I did not yeah, a northern right. thing for you? Is that something you've added um, to your well to your game? No, I added it before a couple of years before we moved up here. So the long and short of it is uh, we met in 2010. I think I may have just had a goatee, um, and in 2015 or 2014 is. It was around the time Olive came around. I went for the whole beard. Part of it was laziness. Um, I don't like shaving whatsoever. Um, I dry shave all the time. I just uh, I, I don't have the patience to grab the yeah. You know, it's a chore. The shaving cream and actually put and, it on my face and, and then have to as well. When you do have Viking heritage, I mean, I don't have time to shave seven times a day. You know, I mean, this beard. Nobody got time for pops that. Pops out, you know, it's just a shave, it's full beard, you know. Um, I, I, I grow facial hair like like it's a sport. Well, as so. the old proverb says, when in doubt, beard. That's right. Yeah. It, uh, that's that's uh, a good thing, you know. I'm just getting back to my roots, I'm getting back to my heritage, and uh, next week I'm going pillaging, so... <laughs> yeah. um, if anybody's ever seen me physically in stature, I am... I carry the Viking heritage only in name and in facial hair. Well, you can be small in stature, but have a have a lion heart. That's right. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know, having the beard too, it, it does warm the face a little it bit. Does. It's kind of it like uh, you know a built-in buffer Scarf. between the cold air that we get here in New York. There we go. And uh, and you know your face. Now, uh, you know it's February now. We got some yep. pretty good snowfall got some last, snow night. last night. There's more in the forecast. Uh, skiing? Is that something I have, you've ever done? Okay, so I grew up in Minnesota. I've never skied in never my skied. entire life. Um, I used to enjoy ice skating. I used to enjoy hockey, playing, mm-hmm. um, just with friends, not okay. like in a league or anything yeah. like that. But after my childhood, I've never picked up either. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Olive talks about ice skating, so maybe one of these days I'll get some skates and hit the ice well i've got you know i've got family that owns a ski resort here nearby so maybe we could get that would be interesting maybe we get the iceberg <laughs> on the trails we'll see we'll, we'll see. see well let's uh let's get right into our topic today yeah. um you know that there are uh there's a you know some unwritten rules in western culture in america <laughs> you're not supposed to talk about two things right yeah politics and religion. religion. So today, to defy <laughs> our culture, we're going to talk about both. Yes. Uh, the topic we're going to deal with today is the idea of politics. And I guess if we uh, nicknamed this uh, or titled this podcast, we could call it Political Saviors because we really want to deal with that idea and hopefully share some things that are helpful for all of us as gospel-centered people learning to live under grace in a modern world, which is the mission of this podcast, um, gospel and belief and practice. How do we apply that to something that confronts us every day, right? Yeah. We don't want to ignore something, a topic that is in our faces every single day, and that is uh, the political uh, climate that we are in right now in our society. It's hard to not see it. You get on Facebook, social media, 
It's everywhere. We just had the State of the Union address a couple nights ago. So we want to we wanna talk about that uh, today. So why don't we start – let's start with our, uh, our culture spotlight, shall we? Um, we just had the State of the Union uh, speech, and you all saw what happened afterwards, right? It's been uh, – the clip of it has gone viral on every social media platform, and people are talking about it. And, and that was when Nancy Pelosi tore up President Trump's speech. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll talk personally first on a personal level. Uh, you know, I, I actually tweeted – I tweeted it out. I, I shared the, the clip of it, and I, and I basically said, you know, if our leaders are acting like this in our society, there's no, there's no civility in our future. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought it was appalling and childish, but it was also telling of um, the very thing we're talking about today, and that is when you put all of your hope um, in the political process and, you know, your guy is not the one mm-hmm. – that's given the State of the Union speech, and your worldview is not the one that's being, uh, you know, that's being advanced in the in the in the lectern. Um, you know that that's the reaction. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, and I remember um, William Wilberforce. Uh, you know the, the, I think the movie Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace yeah. is about William Wilberforce, and w- one of the things of his life that marked his life was. He wanted to see society reformed. He wanted to see uh, the abolition of of slavery, which is what that movie's about, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. the plot line. Yep. Um, one of the things that he felt led by the Lord to do in society was to restore the idea of manners and civility. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, in the political context of Great Britain, I mean, it was much like it is in America today, just people just enrage at each other and, you know, sometimes even going to blows. Mm-hmm. Um, and he felt like if our society is ever going to move forward, you know, we have to restore a, a culture and a, a climate of civility where we can vehemently disagree with each other um, and feel very strongly and not give up our convictions at all, but at the same time show respect yeah. and dignity to the other person. And, um, you know, it just seems like that's yeah, it's, been lost today. It's, right out the window and i think that actually is telling of a deeper trend than just politics too like if you look on social media the interactions you know at this time of year obviously uh, politics is the hot topic but um whether it's it's politics or not the the lack of civility in dis- discourse is I- incredible i mean it's it, it can be as simple as like Look at this cake I made. It's beautiful and I love it. It tastes amazing. And someone's like, "Oh, I hate cake!" Yeah, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs through all caps on Facebook. You know, it's it. That's a very silly example. I hope that's never actually happened. But um, you know, it, it's all over the place. We also just had the Super Bowl, and um, the halftime show was very divisive. You know, have one side of the one side of the aisle going crazy that how you know horrible this was to see two ladies with very little clothing the other side going oh how brave they are and how amazing how empowering empowering and how they own their bodies um yet there's no civil discourse on it it's just screaming and you're never gonna arrive at any point when that's the way you communicate and so if that's how we communicate politically we're never gonna arrive at some sort of agreement or um you know 
not even necessarily compromise, but we're never going to arrive at a good conversation. Um, you know, I've, I don't know many people who have an opposing view politically to me. I know a few, like on a well, like we know them real well connection mm-hmm. type thing. Um, but I, I've, I've had conversations before with a few people who are on the opposite side of the polit- political spectrum than I am. And I've always found that if I come into the conversation with a willingness to listen and hear them out, usually we have a very good and healthy conversation. Um, when someone walks in with a figurative gun fully loaded, you know, and the safety's off, that conversation's not going to go so well. Yeah. And I think I first heard the term outrage porn. Yeah. Uh, I think from Kevin DeYoung some years back. And, and I think it's true. I think, you know, our society, it's like, it's on edge. And it's its almost like there's a little bit of a, of a high in it for people, I think, where let's look for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Like it moves from this, a social justice cause or this, you know, this political thing that happened that just outrages, you know, this part of our culture. And, and let's, and then let's move to the next thing. And then it's like, we're always looking for a new thing to make us mad as a society. And, you know, the whole idea of drive-by media mm-hmm. and, and, you know, what I mean by that. And I think what that term means is it's just like the media is just driving by and taking just a, a small sampling, whatever, whatever version of the story that they think will get the biggest reaction yeah. from the public, they post, they, they publish that uh, to get clicks and hits and, yeah. and, you know, and subscriptions and yeah. buy and sell papers. Um, and, uh, and it's just created this, it's created this, this emotional, dramatic, melodramatic, you know, climate where people, it, it's like they're, they're looking at things through the filter of feelings only. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, nobody's talking about uh, epistemology. You know, like, why do you believe what you believe? What, what, yeah. uh, what is the basis for which you believe what you believe? All you have are two shouting, talking, yelling heads on cable TV or, or, on, you know, or people going back and forth on Facebook, and, and nobody's pausing to ask the question of, where does your worldview come from? Why, why do you believe what you believe? Yeah. And, and what, is the, what gives you authority or any of us authority to say anything is right and wrong? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the spirit of the age. It's the culture that we live in. I think the trolling culture yes. is disgusting and, and appalling. And, you know, like, if you don't believe in the, in the sin nature, just go on YouTube <laughs> and look at the comments on uh, you know a video where someone is trying to put forth an opinion, especially a political opinion yeah. or a or a you know some opinion on a social moral issue, and just look at the comments below. And frankly, it's on both sides. Like when we have Nancy Pelosi tearing up uh, President Trump's speech, and we have a president who gets on Twitter and just shreds people and, yeah. and disrespects people. Um, you know, uh, this is not a comment on his political views I'm, I'm thankful for what he's done for the pro you know pro life cause and all that but you know this is a president who has not modeled um civility yeah so i think it's only added to you know so i don't want to sit here and go it's them yeah it's us it's everybody it's you know that's the tendency though is to on either side of the aisle that's why i think we can say this you know without fear of um sounding too one-sided is that it is on both sides of the aisle. But if you look at this only as a it's them issue, um, then you're probably part of the problem. Because 
Um, that's essentially what the drive-by media type of thing is actually looking for. There's a term that's used when it comes to like social media and stuff like that. It's called clickbait. It's, mm-hmm. you know, let me put out a link and a, and a headline that grabs your attention so you'll click this. It's, a, it's like fishing. You're putting a bait out for the fish to grab. Well, they know how to create incendiary titles and, and headers so that you'll click it and read the article. That's all they're concerned of. Right. They just want reads. They want people looking at it, clicks. Yeah. You know? And so you put something out there like, you know, President Trump is an evil man. People are going to click it. You know? yeah. So it's on both sides of the aisle. If you only listen to that side of things where it's them, you know, it's always them, it's always the other guys, you're not actually having any discourse. You're just having shouting matches, and that's not healthy. Yeah, and, you know, I want to talk to, I want to, talk to Christians, you know. That, that this, is, this show is for those who are trying to apply the gospel, right? So how do, we, how do we gospel this whole part of our society? How do we gospel politics? Uh, first of all, let us draw out the very obvious point that Jesus Christ was not a president. Mm-hmm. He is a king, right? Yeah. He's the king of kings. But he didn't even come to this world and take that office right. to reform or change the world. If the world was to be saved through a political messiah, Jesus would have come as a politician. He would have come as a as the king or the emperor. He didn't. He came as a lowly servant who sacrificed himself. And so let's just, with that as a backdrop, let's talk about this. Because I think there's so much fear today uh, in what if, what if the wrong guy or woman you know, gets put in office? And it, what yeah. if it's not my party or my, my guy or my, my, you know, my woman? Um, there's so much fear. And, and politicians campaign on that fear. Yeah. Everybody has this phantom itch. Everybody knows there's something wrong with the world. Um, and so politicians campaign appealing to that phantom itch we all have and promise the better world that if you elect me i will put the world together i will make it i will make all things right i'll make it as it should be all will be right in the world and of course they're never able to to uh, accomplish that they're never able to provide that uh perfect utopian world that everybody elects politicians for and so the fear continues and so do the campaigns and so does the the anger and rage and so i think we're seeing a lot of fear today and we're seeing a lot of anger today and hatred today, both on both sides. Yeah. Um, and so I think having a high view of the gospel and the kingdom of God will help us to look at this with the right eyes and not live in fear. Um, yeah. So I want, I want to talk about uh, some of that today. Yeah, you know, I, I was sharing with you before we started that I used to really – really kind of involve myself in political topics, uh, arguments. Um, and I was very, very much had my, you know, eye on who was running, all that kind of stuff, even at the local level, not just on the national level. And what really calmed my heart in the midst of that, because fear does stir up, but what calmed my heart was just seeing God's sovereignty and knowing that God is in control and, and, entrusting him with that and saying like, okay, God, your hand is on this. You know, you, there's not going to be a president that gets by you, you know, like, oh man, I didn't see that one coming. Um, and so I can sleep at night. Yeah. I can trust that whatever happens is in your hands. Yeah. God is sovereign. I mean, let's go back to, uh, 
John chapter 19, when Jesus was brought before Pilate. And Jesus wouldn't make a defense for himself. And Pilate basically says, you won't even talk to me? Don't you know that I have the power yeah. to crucify you? Um, in other words, I'm over you, Jesus. My, your life is in my hands. Mm-hmm. Why won't you defend yourself? Why won't you talk to me uh, about these accusations? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And you know what? If you are a Christian and you believe that, that will calm your heart. It'll calm your fears. It'll keep you from freaking out. Even if uh, the worst person is elected in your mind. Um, Go back to the early church days. You talk about toxic political environments for Christians. Like you had people in political power who wanted to kill Christians, who were throwing them into the lion's dens, and yet the gospel moved forward. The church grew on that dark backdrop. Um, And you might actually say the church grew because of the oppression and the darkness. So God actually uses um, contexts where you have corrupt governments or wicked people in power. He uses it to sanctify his church. And in the early church, he used it to scatter his church. You know, when Nero... Uh, and, you know, a number of political leaders were persecuting the Christians. They scattered to the nations and fulfilled Jesus' prediction that the gospel would be preached to all nations yeah. um, and his command to preach the gospel to all nations. So Christians shouldn't fear. God is sovereign, and I think we need to settle in our hearts that there are no political saviors yeah. and that there, there's a great temptation for all of us to create an idol out of politics, out of who's the president, out of my political party. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, be concerned about politics or we shouldn't be involved in politics or we shouldn't try to put the best person in office. Amen. But if you make it of too high of an importance to the point where it creates anger, hatred, or fear inside of you, you can be sure that those emotions are guarding an idol. An idol by nature is something that you've placed too high a value on. That's what makes something an idol. It's a statue of stone or wood, and and someone places too high a value on it, and they make it a god. It becomes an idol, even though it's just wood and stone. The same thing can happen with uh, the presidency or uh, my political party. So beware of that. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things that, um, and I think we could spend multiple weeks on this, but um, a couple things that go alongside that. Number one, um, as believers, our allegiance is not actually, and I'll be careful how I say this, our allegiance is not actually to the United States. Now, by that, I'm not encouraging people to like go start some kind of pseudo-militia in the woods and um, you know try to try to storm the gates of Washington, D.C. to create some new Christian nation. That's not what I'm saying. Um, What I am saying is that we actually have a king that's outside of the realm of this world. Our king is Christ. And so our allegiance ultimately is to him. The Bible actually calls us aliens in this world. Mm -hmm. We're, We're literally just passing through. So ultimately... The United States is not my forever home. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian first. I'm a yeah. child of God first, everything else second. Yeah. We have to think that way. 
or you create an us and them mentality. You forget yep. the gospel. You forget that the problem is not just those people over here. The problem is actually indwelling yeah. sin within uh, even us, even me. And and it, and you lose a sense of humility. You lose a sense of compassion. You lose a sense of mission. You live in fear. You live in anger. Yeah. Um, that if you if you don't have that as the paramount um, the paramount truth that forms your identity and defines you then we end up in places we shouldn't be. You can even believe in yeah. God and consider yourself a Christian, but if you don't say, I'm a kingdom man first, yeah. uh, I'm not, you know, God is not a Democrat or a, uh, or a Republican or a Libertarian or a Tea Party or yeah. Independent. God is God, and yeah. I'm his child, and, and uh, everything in this world is passing away, and ultimately my heart and my home and my ultimate family and my ultimate identity are in Christ and in heaven and in eternal yeah. things. So if we don't if we don't have that mentality, then it the idolatry of that uh of of twisting that can create this whole climate and this whole yeah. uh disruption of our soul in a way that uh, really takes us off the mission of Jesus Christ yeah. in our lives. Exactly. That's actually where I was kind of thinking of going next is mission. So God has not left us with this mission to make democracies everywhere. You know, he has not left us with a um, American mission. Excuse me. What he's actually left us with is a gospel mission, the Great Commission, make disciples in all nations. And so therefore, to only have nationalistic pride and zeal that, you know, my country first, I don't think has real place in the heart of a believer. Um, I love America. I'm very thankful and grateful that the Lord in his providence allowed me to be born in this great country. But I want to use that freedom to spread the gospel. And my heart is for all nations because what I see in Revelation gathered around the throne is a people from all nations. Every tribe. Every tribe. Every tongue. They're not all going to look like me, talk like me, sound like me. And that's what my heartbeat should be for, is that the gospel is going forth to all nations. And so I have to submit my nationalistic zeal and pride underneath God's headship and authority. Right. And God's heart is not just for America. God's heart is for the whole world. Right. Yeah, so true discipleship, or when, I'll say it this way, if Jesus is truly your Lord, or as Peter said, you are the Christ, which means you are the, you are the ultimate king. That's what that meant when he said that in, in Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But when he said that, he meant you're the ultimate king, you're first, you're, you're primary. And what he really meant was, now I see what the center of the solar system is. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to arrange everything around you, not ask you to arrange yourself around me and my interests, but I'm going to arrange everything around you. So, I mean, everything is all-encompassing. So that includes politics. That includes yeah. my country. Um, and actually, politics and country work better when yeah. they're arranged around Christ because when they're not idols, we can interact with them in a way that's healthy yeah. and useful and not seek in those things that which we, you know, the security in those things that we really only get in Christ. The gospel shows us that we're sinners, and we've said that. And if Jesus is at the center of all things, and um, 
we're looking through the gospel lens at politics, then we are freely able to recognize the sin that is at the heart of every person, um, no matter if they're a leader or not. And so, therefore, I think that we can manage politics in a much safer way because we recognize that at the heart of man, uh, we're born with sin. We're born in sin. Um, we're lost in our trespasses. We're dead in our trespasses. So I'm not going to just trust any person that walks up and says that, oh, I'm part of this faction or this party. I immediately recognize first and foremost, that person is a sinner, mm-hmm. you know, needs the grace of God, just as I need the grace right. of God. It's a lot safer of a playing field than just, oh, that person's got this letter behind their name, so they must be the one that I want. Yeah, I want to read a few quotes, but before we do that, I want to keep talking about this because I think this is a huge point of emphasis yeah. when we're talking about politics. Because if you don't believe the gospel, which is sin and grace, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they, those two truths establish each other. Um, I'm more wicked than I ever dared believe. I'm more loved than I ever dared hope at the same time. Like, that's the gospel. If I don't truly believe that, then I will divide the world into the good guys and the bad guys, and I will always say, with a sense of superiority, the problem with the world is this group of people. Yep. The problem with the world is the other political party. The problem with the world is the liberals. Or the liberals say the problem with the world is the conservatives. Or Americans say the problem with the world is Islam. And so we're always going to make the biggest problem in our minds with the reason that everything is wrong with the world, that group of people over there. But the gospel says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the problem is not just out there. The problem is in here, in my heart. I'm part of the problem. Like the old G.K. Chesterton, uh, you know, famous, uh, I guess you'd call it an article (laughs) or response that he gave to someone who'd written into a, a, an English newspaper, and they said, what's wrong with the world? And he replied, famously, I am, hmm. G.K. Chesterton. What's he saying? I'm not going to sit here and you know, dwell on this us and them mentality where if, if, if we could just get rid of those people or fix those people, then the world would be a better place. The problem is sin is in me. And I need to believe the gospel and believe in my salvation. And when I do that, I can see the world in a clearer light. I can see things as they are with more, with a more vivid sense of reality. Um, where yes, they're sinners, but you know what? I am too, and that gives me compassion. Uh, and when we're talking about mission, I won't, I won't ostracize in holding my political view the very people that Jesus told me to reach. And I think we're in danger of that. I think the American church is in danger of that. Um, that if we, if we associate Christianity to a political party and we basically say they're synonymous and they're one and the same. Now, certainly there are issues I think that are inherently uh, biblically moral. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's true. But, but if we, if we're not able to separate ourselves and speak to culture, even people who have a diametrically opposed worldview in a way that is gracious and compassionate and merciful and makes Christ and not politics preeminent, we will lose those very people that Jesus told us to reach. Yeah. Well, Tim Keller has a, a quote, if the Christian faith sets to uh, gets too identified with a party, it reduces Christianity to a political position. And that's the very thing you're saying. You know, if... if if the American church gets to a place where Jesus and Republicans 
that line is blurred. And, you know, I just slipped and said the name of a party, but oh well. Um, <laughs> if that becomes our identity, that Jesus is a Republican, we stand in grave danger of no longer reaching out with the gospel to anyone and everyone. Right. Um, and, and I think that there are, this is already happening. Um, sadly, you know, I, I spent a lot of, I don't say sadly that I spent a lot of time in the South. I, sadly that this is happening. I spent a lot of time in the South, about 15 years of my life in the last um, couple decades. And uh, in that, I saw a lot of people whose mind was wrapped around politics and Jesus. And um, it's the Bible Belt, so everyone's a Christian, except most of them were not. And <laughs> there was this sentiment that the way you voted was a matter of faith. And so they didn't associate with those who didn't vote like they voted. And so therefore, they're not reaching out with the gospel. Now, I'm not saying you go and just uh, only hang out with, uh, I don't know, people who are performing abortions or something like that. And those become your best friends. But I am saying what you do is you bring the gospel to anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no limitations to who the gospel is for. Um, Jesus hung out with sinners. Yep. And if we limit ourselves to only hanging out with those who share our political ideals, we're probably not sharing our faith. Another quote, Billy Graham said, everybody has a little bit of Watergate in him. <laughs> uh, you know, he's pointing to the to the reality of indwelling sin yeah. and, and the need for all of us to have grace. <laughs> I always think of this because when I was in college, uh, you know, I did a lot of traveling and music at that time. And, and uh, I met this guy. He was uh, part of a campus group down in Maryland. Anyway, doesn't make any difference. But he, <laughs> he, he gave, he was like, he was a Christian, like punk artist. And he gave us a CD and he had a song on there called Everybody Shoots a Bird. And it was like, the song was like, I don't know, whimsical, but deep at the same time. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, it didn't say much except he repeated, everybody shoots a bird, even if it's just a little one. Everybody <laughs> shoots a bird. And like, at first, you know, Heidi and I are listening to it like, what is this guy talking about? But then as we, as we listened to it, we realized the guy's talking about. That's it's just his creative way of saying everybody sins. Everybody's yeah. got a little Watergate in him, yeah. and that makes you humble. Why? We've said this before. Rescued people are not arrogant people. Yeah. You can't be superior and self righteous when you stand near the cross. So don't exclude the cross from your processing of your politics. Let's let the humility that grace brings into the heart of a rescued person inform our hearts as we dialogue about politics and about. Uh, culture today. So are you saying that it's not helpful to sit and scream how stupid the other side is? Um, I would say that there's a more excellent way. <laughs> yeah. Right? First yeah. Corinthians 13. Yeah. Uh, there's a more excellent way. Um, listen, it's this. Speak the truth in love. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, we got to tell the truth, but does that only apply in a Christian context? Like it, Paul was only talking about when you talk to Christians. No, um, that is a principle that that guides the way that we interact with the world, with all people. So it's like we don't allow the world to control the climate of how we relate to them. Now, can I just say, I, I struggle with this. I'm by nature, 
um, ministry of truth, not ministry of tears guy. Like I'm, uh, you know, compassion and mercy aren't my first instinct. You know, I'm, I'm a justice guy. I'm a truth guy. And so I, I've had to grow in this myself. And, yeah. you know, when I first got on Facebook years back, I didn't know how to use it. And I was blasting every opinion I had out about everything. And over the years, after lots of fights, including political fights, I realized this isn't good for the gospel. This isn't good for me. It was tangling up my heart. It was tangling up my witness. And um, so now, I mean, this is just me, and you all have to decide how you're going to approach it yourself. But um, I pick my battles a lot more, and the battles I do pick are gospel battles. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk about how a man is justified before God, and if you're going to put a false gospel out there, let's have a conflict. Let's fight. Right? Yeah. But if we're talking about a, an opinion on this political thing that happened or this um, story that happened in society, what do you think about it? I might engage, but honestly, a lot of times I don't, especially if it's got outreach porn involved in it and people are just out of their minds enraged about it and have strong opinions where they won't even listen to anybody, um, I, I probably not going to engage in that conflict. So yeah, um, yeah it, it, it needs, it needs to shape our hearts. And you're, you're actually listening to a guy who has struggled with this because my nature is to tell the truth. My wife has actually called me likes to fight guy. Like I don't <laughs> mind a fight. Like it, you know, I'm a wrestling coach. I'll, you know, I got five out of six kids who wrestle. Like I don't mind a battle. Like let's go. But let me show you a more excellent way. Yeah. Well, I mean, a few things could be said about that. Proverbs 15, and I know everybody is familiar with this, but Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's good. You good know, I, I think we need to be mindful. James talks about the tongue being the hardest thing to manage. Yep. It's so true. And, and that includes Twitter, right? That includes uh, yeah. that, <laughs> It may be your Facebook. fingers, but it's your tongue. Yep, that's right. <laughs> um, we, we just have to be careful that we are seasoning everything that we're saying with grace, you know, mm. and, and that doesn't mean that you're never firm. You know, it's not that you're, you're weak in your response and you're always passive and always, um, you know, just, just uh, maybe even belittling yourself or something for the sake of no arguments. Um, but let's, let's take a moment and pause before we shoot off a, a tweet or a Facebook post and let's make sure that, gospel is at the heart of it, you know, that God's grace is at the heart of it. Um, I've had some very good conversations with people who disagree with me um, very, very strongly Mm -hmm. on things. And that's not to toot my own horn, because trust me, I'm not as well a uh, ministry of tears person first. I am, I'm very much like, no, that's, that's wrong. You're stupid. That's my that's my default. So, by God's grace, I'm growing in this myself. Um, I, I I repent of this often because I shoot off my mouth way too quick. And honestly, one of the ways that I found a way to safeguard that, especially on Facebook and Twitter, um, is just not hitting send. Yeah, I'll wait. type it out. Yeah. And then I'll see it and go, oh, that's not a yeah, that's not a good response. Yeah, and you just use the word repent. That honestly, like. That is a way that we can minister and to people and, and shine the light of Christ is if you blundered, if you, you know, just lost your temper online and yeah. if you were cruel to someone or mean to someone, apologize. Mm-hmm. And if you did it publicly, apologize publicly. 
If yeah. you did it privately, you know, apologize privately. But repenting is actually one way to preach the gospel because Amen. it says, "I'm not beyond uh, being wrong. I'm not beyond admitting that I'm a sinner and I need grace." I honestly think it's one of the best ways we can preach the gospel. Yeah. Like I think when when someone who is not a believer hears a believer repenting and and confessing sin, like, "Hey, man." What I said to you the other day was not right. Yeah. I'm a believer in Christ, and um, I need to repent and say I'm sorry to you because that was wrong. Yeah. That shines a light on Jesus that is just massive, and people see God's grace at work. They might not even understand it, but they're like, okay, this is unusual. No one's ever apologized for that yeah. type of thing to me before. I think it's a massive testimony of God's grace. It is unusual. I, there was a woman that, uh, she, you know, she's very liberal worldview, Um uh, you know, push my buttons. This is going back maybe three, four years now. I got really upset. She got upset, and um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I came on harshly. I was harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out to her. I think the next day, and I said, "Hey, I, I just want you to know that uh, uh, I did not represent Christ well, and I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and I'm sorry that I that I was so harsh with you." And she was blown away. She said, I, "I've never had anybody do that." And um, didn't change her worldview, but right. uh, hopefully it it showed, you know, I was just talking about this to my kids this morning. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, salt like makes people thirsty, right? So you, you, you like, you, you act in a way or, or speak in a way that makes people thirsty for the things of God and, and see the beauty in it yeah. and want the water of life. And I think by God's grace, I was, I did that that day. Whether or not God uses that to turn her heart into salvation, that's up to the Lord. But um, yeah, so I think the humility that we show even when we blunder in, in political conversations, in private or public, uh, it, it's good to be humble. So um, uh, let's see, have we given all our quotes of the day? Um, I had a couple. Okay. Um, here's one that I had recorded um, down. I, I uh, I like to record quotes down that I find helpful to pull up at a later time. So like I just a, happen to have a couple on like politics. Like a Grace Walk radio episode. Exactly. So who knew in 2016 I'd be using this? Uh, John Piper on patriotism. No matter where we live, our first allegiance is to our king and to the heavenly kingdom to which we belong. And further, we have to understand that whether it's Germany, Babylon, Rome, Russia, or the United States, any government can be corrupted. Amen. Just a healthy reminder, you know, like, our, our king and our, our affiliation is not to this world. It's not to the United States, first and foremost. Um, it's, it's to Christ. And uh, again, just to button up another um, thing we were talking about earlier, just about God being sovereign. This is Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, while the kings rage against the Lord, against Christ, against the word of God, um, as a Christian, you should be totally at peace because God has established his king on Zion, Jesus Christ, over all kings. And in the end, he will have the final word. And that's why the psalm ends. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. 
blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So again, a high view of God's sovereignty, of God's reign over his creation, even over corrupt governments, even over corrupt kings, even over uh, the the situations and circumstances and seasons that are very dark for Christians. It's all for God's glory. It's all for the sanctification of his church, and we can trust him without fear. And Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even even if the wrong guy gets elected, right, or woman, yep. gets elected, guess what? God is sovereign, and he used Pharaoh, yep. and all of Pharaoh's evilness, yep. God used him. Yep, it's not that God um, performs the evil or takes pleasure in it, but he arranges it, he mm-hmm. allows it, you know? God causes good, allows evil, but ordains all things, and, and it's that... It's that confidence that makes us fearless, even in, if the worst of situations arises in our country or in the political yeah. context. So, um, now that said, let's let's just maybe kind of a final um, a final angle on this topic. How do we vote? Um, we are not going to sit here and tell you who to vote for, okay? But we are maybe going to give some principles that can help us think through this. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I want to say is. We vote how we pray. And I say that because 1 Timothy 2.2 tells us how to pray for our country and our leaders, our political leaders. It says, first of all then, Paul wrote to Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know, my view of government is that its role is to protect freedoms and to uh, defend the innocent and to punish evildoers. Um, Outside of that, I think it gets into a realm that it ought not be in. So I think we vote how we pray. How do we pray? We pray that the church may be able to live peaceful and quiet lives in the midst of our society, that the gospel would have open roads to go... uh, into society, and we could practice our faith and practice our religion uh, any way we want, that that, that that freedom is protected. That's how we're taught to pray, that we'd be able to live lives like that. So then how should we vote? We should vote for people who protect our liberty and our freedoms uh, in Christ. And not only that, we, we need to be careful about imposing um, restrictions yeah. on other worldviews and religions because we might actually end up hurting our, our own cause by trying to over-legislate mm-hmm. someone else's freedom. And I know there's, again, there's a line where if they're, if they're harming people, we need to stop that. But sure. by over-legislating freedom, we might actually start eroding our own. Yeah. So I'm for freedom. Like To me, like that's how we should pray, and that's how we should vote. Um, and also to... Pray for those who defend the innocent. You know, Proverbs 31 says, take up the cause of the poor and needy and speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Um, for me, one of the paramount issues is the, uh, the Holocaust of the unborn in the womb. And we need to remember uh, the least of these and yeah. remember the poor and needy as we vote and vote for those who can help them live peaceful and yeah. quiet lives. So that's what kind of guides me as I vote is... You know, who, who is going to protect uh, freedom so that the church can thrive and live peaceful and quiet lives? And then who is going to defend peaceful and quiet lives of the, the, the least in our society, of the unborn? 
and um, that kind of that really helps me guide my vote. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's not about a political party affiliation. Um, you know, I'm a lifelong fill in the blank. It's about looking at each individual and and praying about it and seeking the Lord and saying, you know, is this person um, doing that very thing that First Timothy two and verse two is is saying? You know, um, are they the type that's going to fight for? The unborn are they the type that's going to fight for a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way? You know, again, we're not voting um, for a pastor; we're voting for a president. Um, I, I do think that presidents should have strong moral fiber and moral character, um, but I also know that I'm not voting for a political savior. Um, the political system is pretty broken, yeah. um, but you know, as far as being a believer, my hope is not in. DC or whatever capital city you find uh, is your capital, depending on what country you're yeah. listening to uh, from. Uh, my hope is in is in the Lord, and so I vote and I leave it in His hands. Yeah, and you just made a good point. I'm not voting for a pastor; I'm voting for a president. And you heard him right. We have a higher view of eldership and pastoral ministry than we do of the presidency of the United States. I I don't expect. A president to check all the boxes of the qualifications for an elder in First Timothy three. I'm yeah. sorry, they're they're not church leaders. They're yeah. they're they're worldly leaders in a political system that's outside the church. So I actually don't have the same expectations of a political leader that I would of a pastor. Let me just give you an example. Let's say you lived in the early church, and they put up for democratic vote who would be the new emperor. Do you want to vote for uh, Nero, who kills your children, and who? kills Christians and crucifies them and lights their bodies on crosses and lights to light the roadways of Rome? Or do you want to vote for this other pagan who doesn't kill Christians and worship <laughs> Zeus? I, I don't know. You know if I had a vote, if the early yeah. church had a vote, they'd probably vote for the guy who worships Zeus and doesn't kill Christians. Now, if you like imposed like my Christian worldview in 1 Timothy 3 over that person, you'd probably go, well, that guy, he's got all these flaws and issues. Yeah, Yep, <laughs> but it, I'm going to vote for the guy who gives my yeah. my family in Christ the opportunity to live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, and who's going to protect children, Yeah, even if he's a pagan and worships Zeus. So bring that into a modern world. You know, I know a lot of people who, you know, look at Trump and they go, oh my gosh, this guy, he's, he's got this history and he's, he's got all these flaws. And you know what? I agree. He actually was not the guy that I wanted to be president. Um, it's not the guy that I voted for in the primaries. Uh, but that's the guy that's in. And so, you know, I, I have to look at it and go, okay, um, who checks these boxes of the way I pray that we just described? Um, I'm not asking this guy to pastor my kids or be an elder in the church. So that helps me process a little bit. Uh, when I know what I, how I pray and how we're called to pray, it helps me know how to vote, and it helps me have a realistic view, since I don't believe in political saviors, of how I'm going to cast my vote in an election. Agreed. All right. Well, that's a lot. That's a fire hose. <laughs> we probably could have done this in two parts, but um, thanks for listening today. We hope it's encouraged you in some way. Uh, our hope is that you would live without fear, that you live without, for God's sake, live without hatred, live without bitterness, 
find your identity in Christ first, not in your political party. Uh, let's sing the patriotic songs of the United States, but let's remember that God is sovereign over our country and there's a king over all kings, over all presidents. And let's worship him and remember him in our thoughts as we type in our comment on Facebook or our post on Twitter. Let's remember Christ in all things and let his grace and his message inform our hearts so that we can be like him as we reached out to a world that is lost and needs to find their way back to the Father. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us in this politically charged season that's coming up right up through next November's election. And even after that, help us, Lord, to be heavenly-minded, to be kingdom-minded, Lord, so that we can display who you are and your love to the world and the beauty of your gospel. Lord, we thank you for all those who listen today and for this time. Amen.